0: Well, welcome to the journey. Um, my name is Kevin Polke and I am the, the host of the journey and today we have a very special guest, Greg Young. Um, I've gotten to meet Greg um, over the last uh, few months. We just recently uh, participated in a training that Greg uh, came to Rockford and and trained some of our staff at KP uh, counseling regarding uh, critical incident um, uh, debriefing and and training specifically with first responders. But um, Greg, there's a whole lot more to what you have going on in your world besides uh, just the, with the workshops and trainings that you do. So, uh, so welcome to the journey. And um, and why don't we first start with uh, a question that I always ask our guests: uh, What uh, when you're not working and you're not uh, getting pulled into a scenario to help out? What what does Greg do uh, for fun? What do you do to recharge?
1: Well, Kevin, first and foremost, thanks for having me, buddy. It's good to see you again. Um, what, what I do for fun in to kind of balance that stress scale, as, as I always refer to it, is if it's a winter and we have a lot of snow, I snowshoe mm-hmm. because I like to get out the, in, in the woods, out in the trail, where where it's just peaceful and quiet and it's it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, but normally I rock. Um, I used to be a runner years ago, and but my knees and arthritis have kind of taking up residence in my body. And so I I find other ways to adapt, you know, adapt and overcome. And so rucking is one of them, uh, fast walking, uh, some of those kinds of things, or kayaking when we go up north.
0: Gotcha. And so, for some of our listeners that may not be familiar with rucking, uh, may, maybe if you could kind of give a a, a, yeah. a a very beginner version of what what is rucking, and 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 what have you noticed going from being a runner to going to you know, moving into rucking as a, as a form of exercise, uh, you know, to maybe kind of first tell us what it is, and then tell us what that experience has been like.
1: Yeah, rucking is actually something. that's really it's kind of growing kind kind of sport for just the general public. It um, originally it's, it's roots come from the military, the rucksack, you know, mm-hmm. that they would carry. And particularly you get into, you know, special forces like, um, like Navy SEALs and others would use a, a, a weight pack and they would walk with a lot more weight than, than I could carry. Uh, but, um, and it was kind of a fitness test, kind of a litmus test. And, and, and they would just walk as far as they can so usually for ruckers like me if you can do 10 to 15 percent of your body weight you can get ruck plates you can get special packs i just use a 511 tactical pack um, that i got at a conference a chief uh, police conference i spoke at and it was just sitting around and i thought well heck i'm going to take this up tried it I, I, you can't do it every day because it's kind of hard on the body but uh, but you burn a lot of calories a lot more than you would just walking if you walk at a uh a brisk pace, so I, I like rucking. It's it's lower impact on my mm-hmm. joints um, than than running would be. So yeah. uh, I, I love it, and um, I don't know if I'll snowshoe or ruck today because it uh, it actually snowed this morning
0: oh gotcha gotcha and and so uh and maybe tell us a little bit where where are you at i know uh where where the picture that you have behind you is not necessarily where you reside primarily so why don't you tell us a little bit about your 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 at least two of your locations
1: well where the picture you see behind me there is where i'd like to be that's okay. where our family cabin is in the Upper Peninsula. Uh, where it's on the tip of a point of a little 250 acre lake, there's just a handful of cabins there, and that's that's really kind of a a spiritual place for me where I get grounded. Um, but actually, I live in Germantown, Wisconsin, which is north east suburban, uh, corner of Milwaukee,
0: nice suburban area. Nice, okay, nice. And have you been in Wisconsin your whole life?
1: No, I actually grew up in Indiana, oh, so adjacent (laughs) to Illinois. I grew up in Crawfordsville, Indiana. And played football when I was in sports there, you know, and, uh, and Crawfordsville is about 30 miles due east of Danville, Illinois. So it's kind of that, you know, then went to
0: Purdue University for,
1: for college for my undergrad. Okay.
0: Okay. I have, uh, I have relatives that live um, a little bit east of Evansville, Indiana in a small oh, town yeah. called, called Boonville, Indiana. And so, oh, uh, beautiful country. Yeah. yeah, so I, so I've been down, uh, well, ever since I've been a little kid. And then my wife had her, her parents are from Boonville. So, so my uncle moved down there to be a, a dairy manager, um, uh, a dairy farm manager. And then I used to go down as a kid and help out on the farm in the summer times and stuff. And then uh, later when Diane and I got together, uh, Diane's family's originally from Boonville. So we go down there uh, at least once a year. So, uh, yeah, beautiful, beautiful area. Yeah,
1: Covered Ridge Festival in the fall. I think it's probably a part of that whole. That whole thing in the fall, those yeah.
0: festivities. Yeah, very, very much so. So maybe tell us a little bit. So athletics um, were in sports were were part of your background, and yeah. and then you went to Purdue. What did you study in Purdue, and 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 did you play athletics then, or well, yeah? T- kind of tell us where your trail went from from high school.
1: Well, in high school, my senior year, I played. I was a starting. I starting. I started um, with, with a football team on offense, and we were undefeated. And they retired their jerseys, but but I had a scholarship offer to um, play at Evansville. Okay. But I decided it was it was a pretty modest you know scholarship offer, but uh, I decided I'm going to go to a larger university. So I went to Purdue, and I started out, Kevin, in pre med. Okay. Pre med. But then uh, it was kind of a long, convoluted. Say, I call it a sacred journey that we all take. Um, ended up in sociology, cultural anthropology, and with um, the culture anthropology, the specialization in Native American studies.
0: Oh, really? Okay.
1: Yeah. Interesting. We had that conversation. But yeah. No,
0: no, we didn't. And th- but that's uh, definitely a, a background interest to myself as well. So I know. So so, uh, so yeah. So continue. So would you? So is that what you majored in? Actually sociology.
1: Yeah. Sociology is yep. my major, major, sure. major and cultural anthropology was my minor. And I was, I had a, a couple of profs in my, uh, near the end of my, 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 my education at Purdue uh, in the sociology department that were really encouraging me to go on and get my PhD and teach, teach at the college or university level, because teaching is really, I think it's kind of in my blood as you, as you know. Sure. Yeah. And, um, but I met my wife, Grace uh, the last year, my senior year, but I had this tug, Kevin, uh, this, this little spiritual tug from going way back. I call it the, the angels that I wrestled with. Okay. Um, then no, I don't want to be a pastor. Um, I'd gone to South America as a part of a work camp experience in high school and, you know, and so I was very active that way. Uh, it was in a Methodist church, United Methodist church. Um, but then I met Grace in ethnographic theory. It was a dual level graduate and undergraduate level course in, um, at Purdue in culture anthropology. And, um, and, you know, we, uh, started end up dating and eight months later we got married. Mm-hmm. So her dad was a clinical psychologist and a professor of philosophy and also United Church of Christ pastor. And, and so, um, I I met him. And I decided, what do you think if I I, I decided I want to go to seminary? So um, I, I decided to go to seminary. I was afraid that pastors are always walking around back in those days, kind of that that whole transference thing, you know. It's like uh, they're they're all walking around wearing black robes and frowning at everybody all the time.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, that was you
1: know from based on some previous experience, but that not, her dad was a totally different kind of role model. From that. Mm-hmm. And it's ironic is that as I look back in my life now, I'm doing very similar things to what he
0: did. A lot
1: of it parallels what he did. Yep. Interesting,
0: interesting. Okay, so so I'm I'm interested in that piece that somewhere, it sounds like somewhere in your maybe middle school, high school years you you know felt a tug or a pull and as you said you were wrestling with that that you were wrestling with that prompting and maybe even buried it or distracted yourself from that prompting and then Grace comes into your into your life and and obviously you meet her her dad and stuff. Yeah tell tell us a little bit about that that experience because I know a lot of people listening will hear that that calling and and yeah. either either one refused the call because no 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 I don't want to go down that or or whatever it is and and then inevitably recognized that no matter what they do it 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 didn't go away so uh and then they later accept the call but yeah, tell tell us um tell us a little bit about that rustling I I'm curious about that
1: well you know I tried a number of different things obviously to distract it mm-hmm. as as you said Kevin And, you know, but I, I, even in college, when I was at Purdue, uh, I was very active with um, the Wesley Foundation, because Purdue is like, you know, like UW, a large university or University of Illinois in Champaign. And, um, and so I was very active and, but I did not want to go into what we call parish ministry. You know, Uh, I, if I did a ministry, I wanted to do something in the trenches. Mm-hmm. which is kind of ironic because that's kind of what i do now mm-hmm. um and, and but we had that parish experience you know so i i with that so um there was actually a group when i was at purdue uh, one spring break uh we went to jamaica as a part of a work team to help build an office building or get it started for the foundation and whatever the length of the time the spring break was but we met up with a, a group from indiana state university in terre haute and the 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 campus minister's name was dr reverend he was reverend sin s-i-n-n sin and so when they showed up at purdue and we all kind of flew down together um they all had sin as in t-shirts now that's a whole other conversation (laughs) but um but it was it was a great experience so those seeds were already there that tug was always there and um i mean i could tell you a lot of stories about like when we were in ukraine uh going to ukraine there was a pastor who said i feel on this tug to go with you guys so but that's on the conversation mm-hmm, maybe mm-hmm. another podcast at some point sure. but but that tug was still there and you, you know and i think um as much as i tried to bury it or as much as i wrestled with it um it, it came back mm-hmm. and it was validated um in meeting grace's dad
0: mm-hmm. yeah. you know <clears throat> and and we, i was just having this conversation with with uh, some of my staff the other day um actually in my in my Milwaukee offices and we were talking about we, it was an exercise that we did during our supervision and and we were we were talking about what drew us into um the field and i uh, mean the counseling field and as i shared about my experience there was numerous times where I would say, nope, I don't want to work with children. I don't want to work with youth. And then there was the door that I was to walk through. And so I did. And I don't want to work in the school. You know, and there was these numerous things that I would say on a Monday that I wasn't going to do. And then within a couple of days, that was the door that was... uh that, that, that I was to walk through. And even if I resisted it for a time period, the door still didn't go away. And, um, and eventually I would walk through the door and then, and then, you know, a whole nother world would open up, you know, and, um, but it was, it was, you know, similar to like what you said that, that my first response to it was, I didn't want to, um, or I, or I even, you know, was as bold or arrogant or whatever you want to say to say, no, I'm not going to. And, and then, uh it was kind of like God was like going, hey, Well, thanks for your opinion. Um, but this is the this is the door that's <laughs> <Yeah>. still there.
1: <laughs> Funny how that works, isn't
0: it? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So 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 tell us a little bit about uh yeah, a little bit on your journey. i obviously, you know, kind of the highlights of that. And I know the work that you're doing now, you know, wasn't really what you intentionally uh were thinking about back in back in Purdue. So so kind of yeah, kind of bring us up to speed now and um what You do now, okay, very
1: good. Well, I mean, it's kind of a convoluted journey, as I told you. In Purdue, I went to uh, I left school theology at Denver University, at least initially. Um, and then I went from there, I went to um, um, United Theological Seminary when we found we really felt more grounded in the Midwest, closer to home. So, went there, lived in the Twin Cities for six years, actually, fell in love with it and what i found was you know talk about the whole counseling piece because there's a part of that with me as well um you know but during that time they said you have to have in order to, to to receive ordination in my denomination or judicatory they call them um i had to have some parish experience so after seminary and we had to do theological statements after three years of seminary education you know like kind of graduate program and um, I was sent to International Falls. Well, actually, if International Falls, excuse me, I was, at, I was in the Twin Cities as a youth pastor in a large congregational church on Lake Minnetonka. Uh, it would be a great place to be. You couldn't afford to live there, you know, you know, that kind of salary, because all the, the execs in General Mills lived on the lake and everything else. So we were six months in International Falls, really had a baptism by fire with all kinds of horrific things I had to respond to um and you know you're kind of out there on an island and you know you know international falls is 100 miles from virginia which is the nearest detox place a person to get detox so i was dealing with a lot of alcoholics would be called into a park because i became kind of a pastor to the whole community and uh, from there though i accepted a call to uh, Northport, michigan which is across from door county it's a you know it's beautiful resort country Uh, sugarloaf ski mountains nearby on on that peninsula that that juts out was there for four and a half years but then i felt you know there's more i still had this this piece of wanting to do a ministry outside of the parish okay so i accepted a call to a church in germantown over here saint john i was there for 15 and a half years but during that time kevin I was, I became, I was very active in, in, you know, like local committees and chaired this, chaired that, you know, like uh, Greater Germantown Committee, things like that. But I had a lot of people in the community coming up to me for counseling, okay? Uh, Pastoral counseling. And I, you don't get much other than learning how to do maybe active listening and those kinds of things in seminary. And so I applied to a program called... Uh, it's the Center for Religion and Psychotherapy of Chicago. It's down in a loop. It's right on Michigan Avenue, uh, hide, tied in with the Hyde Park Consortium and the University of Chicago. And I had to do a year of my own therapy to be accepted in the program. Uh, one of the best things I ever did, by the way. Um, it's become more self-aware what my triggers are, that whole inner journey. And so I did that and worked part-time at the Pastoral Counseling Center at in Great Milwaukee. During that time, though, my church then said, I had two little children, my wife and I did, that um, we're not going to support you anymore if you continue to finish your your doctorate. You know, and so uh, it was either that or, you know, because it wasn't income producing at that point. So I, I basically did the clinical piece, didn't finish the didactic piece, which was really minimal at that point because I was there for two years. And um I said, what am I going to do with this? What am I what am I Lord what am I going to do with this? Mm-hmm. you know like uh, Topol who just passed away from throwing the roof mm-hmm. Oh Lord, you know that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I did work pastoral counseling Center in Milwaukee uh, for a while. but I found through it's really convoluted Kevin um I then wanted I heard the thing called critical incident service management went to a training, uh, Salvation Army was offering it and they said, um, I want to make a deal with you. Um, if We want you to respond to a crisis. If we need this, we're going to train you to be a trainer, um, you know, in critical incentive stress management. We're going to pay the way. And how could you turn out an offer like that? And so one thing led to another, to another. And then I started doing my own work on top of that and then started getting called to respond to uh, the, you know, obviously Hurricane Katrina was one of the first. Uh, part of the strike team, uh, trying to determine needs up and down the coast, right after Labor Day, and found that in, in emergency mental health situations, I was, that was my niche, that was my niche, you know, and I still do parish ministry part-time, but they fully embrace what I do, uh, the rest of it's just, uh, you know, from from there it was like um, Sandy Hook, uh, I get called out as a response to that. Um, The Sikh Temple mass shooting, the Azana Spa shooting, Molson Coors, a lot of mass shooting kinds of things. And I started working a lot with first responders in that process um, um, because they really want to have a person who's had that boots on the ground kind of experience. And then most most recently, as as you alluded to, Ukraine, Mm -hmm. Uh, two trips to Ukraine.
0: Oh, so just in the past year, you've gone to Ukraine twice.
1: Well, actually 19, no. 19, uh, okay. 19 was my first time. And okay. that was our first time there. Um, okay. I think we're, we're connected on LinkedIn.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: When I was contacted on LinkedIn by a guy named Yaroslav Malko, he was in Ukraine at the time. They were actually converting a lot of cha- uh, war chaplains from the military because the war in 2014-15 with Russia had subsided. They thought, we aren't going to need military chaplains anymore. Hmm. So they're going to convert them to become police chaplains. They wanted to develop police programs like the U.S., you know, uh, as opposed to what it was, you know, the whole Russia thing with, um, you know, they're they're more an extension of that, you know, that whole political structure. And wanted community policing, those kinds of things. So we were over there. I met with the minister of internal affairs with two other with the two other officers uh, since I was a leader of the group. And then he sent. Us, give us a special police escort. We were in. If you've been following the war, and I know you have, yeah. we were actually in Mariupol. We mm. were in Kharkiv. We were in lizachansk We were in the Donetsk area. All those areas that we could not go to now. And but we were meeting with police. We were going to churches to help recruit chaplains. Mm. And then I did a lot of virtual training in the years since. Uh, there were ninety thousand Russian troops permanently stationed on the border. we were there in 2019 so they kind of thought this is imminent. a million and a half of them had already fled to go to to kiev more centrally located or further further west and then of course my most recent trip was this past august where i was actually um we were invited in to help them with moral trauma uh worked with war crimes investigators and we got within about 90 to 100 miles of the russian border uh, we were in harm's way to be sure. We were in uh Dnipro and and then um the Pulvata area. So, but um and I may go back this year if 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 the situation is calm enough you know for us to come over and help them.
0: Sure. So I want I want to go and explore something you just mentioned and definitely was something that when we were doing our training uh six weeks ago or so, um, that you had introduced. Uh, the concept of moral trauma yes. and and so let, let's let's talk a little bit about that and and what do you mean by moral trauma and and what uh yeah t- let's talk a little bit about that
1: oh man how much time do we have yeah <laughs> moral trauma. yeah moral trauma actually i first became introduced to that. syracuse university would be a good source you know for your listeners to follow um they were doing obviously and i think it's the way i introduced it they were doing actually a lot of uh, you know a lot of PTSD, we I refer to it as PTSI, the injury portion to try to de stigmatize it for our first responder audience um, to get to get help. It's okay to get help, and um, yeah, you know, they they were came a lot of vets coming over with PTSD slash I, and they found that they could treat them with all the modalities of treatment, you know that that you're very familiar with and utilize, you know, for people with PTSD slash I. Um, But they would go home and existentially, they would find that there's still something wrong. For instance, if they had to, say, shoot a kid who had, you know, had a bomb vest on, came into a military camp, and they had no choice but to use lethal force, you know, um, know, because the kid was going to kill and blow up the camp, you know, when all their options were eliminated, uh, you know, it's a horrible feeling. I've just killed a kid. And, and they'd look in a mirror and they think I'm an evil person. I'm a horrible human being. I don't deserve to live. But there's an, another side, another face to moral trauma. It has many faces. The face that we that I was dealing with in 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 um, Ukraine was these war crimes investigators were uncovering these mass graves. They were hearing the stories and looking at the pictures, or seeing eyewitnesses and talking to people vicariously traumatized um in in bucha and some of those areas where women and children were indiscriminately shot in the street you know citizens were shot and how could another human being do this to other human beings even vicariously um we can we can be morally traumatized Mm -hmm. just by that because our unconscious does not recognize whether that actual experience at least in the book i'm reading right now um, talking about the, un- it's, it's called the unexpected gift of trauma um, gets into that, um, you know, that, you know, whether it's realized or whether it's imagined it, you know, it still has, it has an impact on it. So it's very interesting. So it, um, so we did a lot of work with them um, and they, they would like me to come back. Uh, another way of looking at it too, is, is from a spiritual perspective is a soul wound. It's a wound. Deep, very deep in our soul, you know, those things that uh, how could other human beings do that? We turn on the news or listen or that we experience or that, unfortunately, those wounds that we carry, you know, where we've been wounded. So that's world trauma.
0: So, So let me let me what came to mind and, and we may have talked about this before, but tell me if this is in the same kind of direction. Uh, I I was running a group at one point or still running a group right now and it's a homicide support group. And, and I've been doing it for almost 15 years now. And these are all individuals, families and family members who have lost a loved one. Uh, it could be friends too, but primarily it's family members who've lost a loved one to homicide and, um, and unfortunately, there's a high rate of, of homicide in the Rockford area. And um, one particular time, there was there was a, a family that was there, and just the sh- the short version of it, there, uh, the one of the parents was extremely upset after coming for many many um, meetings. Finally, spoke up and he talked about that this was not supposed to happen to his offspring. This was not to happen because they had followed all the rules. They had gone to church. They had gone to Sunday school. They had done everything that they were supposed to do, and this was not supposed to happen. Now, I think everyone there recognized that he wasn't suggesting, they weren't suggesting that someone else in the room did deserve it to happen. But I think it was this dilemma that they believed that they had done everything they could to safeguard family and offspring and still um uh this this horrible incident had happened anyways but it was all tied to uh to a religious uh uh, belief that if we do blank blank and blank then the outcome will be this uh does that fall into the same kind of broad category as as moral trauma or is that something a little bit different
1: yeah, I, I think it would. I think, I think it would. Um, the thing of it is, I listen to you. I mean, I if you live life long enough doing what you do and what I do, you'll hear that. And people were saying that coming out of the pit at 9-11 and into that big tent they called the Taj Mahal outside, you know, when they were trying to do recovery work, essentially. Um, why? You know, it's, it's the why question. I mean, and that really taps into my theological belief, I think, Kevin, a little bit, if you want to get into that. I, you know, I believe we we do have free will, you know that that we wouldn't learn and grow um if we did not have that, if we were just puppets, marionettes, you know, on a string, um that means that bad things can happen. You, you know, that doesn't mean that God doesn't love us, that God doesn't care for us. but but you know you know, it's like like um, the, the the rabbi Kushner's book, Why do bad things happen to Good people? Mm-hmm. you know i mean he he kind of wrestled with that too you know it's like but they, they do happen you know i mean that's just what life is and it isn't so much that they happen as what we do with them i think you mm-hmm. know i mean we've all had bad things happen and we say why or we become bitter and that's okay I mean, you know we have to hold that feeling and you know when i would hear something like that i don't know if i really i, I think i would probably be almost like phony or cardboard to them i felt i needed to explain it away Mm -hmm. um you know um and and saying i really don't have a good answer for that except to say that you know there is bad um evil in the world you know and this gets in that whole light and darkness thing too in a way for me it's like uh, the book i'm working on right now you know hate can throw everything it has at us but if you look through a different set of lenses you know i mean we have to deal with the grief we have to deal with that we love always has the final word love always resurrect it's kind of like ezekiel on that battlefield i use that example you know where he's taken out to this battlefield and you know this vision this ancient battlefield and all of this this loss it's, it's a scene of desperation and despair utter total loss for as far as the eye can see and he asks the question shall these bones live and, and of course the lord says you know essentially you know, these bones will rise again. And hence that, you know, the, the, the uh African American spiritual, them bones are gonna rise again. And and it's so true. And and, and so I, I use example after example of horrific things, including Ukraine that I'm working on that chapter right now. Um, that, that 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 you know that it does love always responds, whether it's a pulse nightclub, whether it's whatever it is, you know, I'm not trying to sleep under the rug, the pain that journey that we that work we have to do but but if we look also through another set of lenses we'll see that that, that love always has a final word i, I saw with the 9-11 mm-hmm.
0: yeah. and you know and and we've talked about this numerous times on here of Victor Frankel's work um yeah. admiral, admiral Stockdale's work in the in in the Vietnam uh prisoner of war camp uh this this idea that Having a belief, having a faith that there is a bigger point to all of this, and this is something for me to grow and learn through, but that doesn't take away the her- the, the horrific aspect of what I'm currently in, right? And well,
1: yeah, well, post traumatic growth—the book I'm reading right now says that post traumatic growth does not spring out of resilience, yeah. which is kind of interesting. It, it 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 comes out of embracing the trauma. And and working through that um, and getting to a point of, you know, as we talked about in when I was there for the training, to a point actually where we're we're actually stronger in a lot of ways. What do we learn by dealing from that? What do we and how can we turn the tragic things that happen in our lives, those scars, in, into, um, into stars or whatever, but how do we turn them into something that would be meaningful to help other people? Mm-hmm. I think that's that's a process, a part of the healing, at least as I see it from a, yeah. a spiritual perspective.
0: Yeah. Well, and I and when I do some training resilience trainings uh, for schools, um, I, I challenge them that resilience isn't about getting over something, uh, or, or or having someone rescue you, so you can just get back on your feet again. It's about going through something so that you can do what you just said is that you can you can actually learn learn from it, and that is. I know for me extremely challenging because the temptation is I just want to I just want to go away I just want to get back to normal I just want it you know the, the the whatever to succumb and that could be if I'm working out or if that could be going through some type of you know some some type of experience and and when I can ground myself and and say that yes I do believe there will be something that I can learn and grow and develop from this so that I can then share, with, with others, if I can remind myself that I don't have to make, I don't have to make the story worse than it already is. <laughs> I don't right. have to, I don't, go ahead.
1: Well, and the thing I was going to simply say is, is we could talk about this forever. Couldn't we? Yeah. Yep. It's, it's, yeah. Um, but you know, when I train, I'm always sharing my stories as I know you are. Mm-hmm. I'm sharing my stories. Some of which have happened to me and others of which I've been called into that I've experienced in a different way. And I want to honor victims by what what I learn, what I integrate, that I can then transform to help help others, you know and in a way that's healing me and we that that's helping hopefully, you know that I'm offering training to as well.
0: Well, and and just speaking of uh, and and the the individuals at KP, the therapists at KP that we worked with a couple of weeks ago or, or a month ago, they all said hi and um, and oh. now and and so three of them have. But now we've been called into uh, incidences that have happened in the in the Rockford area as well as um, Mark had to uh, assist someone he, while he was on vacation uh, down in Florida, and so he well oh, he didn't tell so, me that yeah yeah that that just happened yesterday. So, um, yeah, so, but the, you know, but to your point that, that, uh, the training that you provided for us gave, uh, gave Pat and gave Mark, uh, gave Ashley a format in which they then, when they got called to work with the fire department, when they got called to work with another incident that they were able to, um, not just have that they would have that format but then they could then just be present which is something that they've been um doing in therapy for a long time now it's just a different structure a different format as we're doing the debrief or 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 the processing
1: Uh, matter of fact pat pat actually contacted me a couple of days ago uh talking about that and and saying and thanking me that's that's why we do what we do right you know absolutely Uh, that's what keeps us going if it if it's if it's helpful and I'm so if we provide something that's still relevant, you know, as long as as long as God can use me,
0: I'm mean, it. Yeah absolutely you know Greg I, I know that we we could go on and talk for a, an extended period of time and and if it is all right I would like to go ahead and, and plan on scheduling another time uh, for us to get together to go maybe even a little bit more into um what a uh, critical incident uh, stress management is and mm-hmm. and then we can go a little bit deeper into that the next time but right for the time being though if someone wanted to reach out to you or was interested more in your work what's the best way for them to get a hold of you?
1: Well, probably at my, either my email or my phone. And the email is criticalincidentresponse at gmail.com. Kind of tells what I do, doesn't it? Criticalincidentresponse at gmail.com. Or if they wanted to, to call me, although they, they want, want to leave a message, it's 414-573-6008.
0: Perfect. Well, Greg, as always, uh, I appreciate the opportunity to have a conversation with you and, and I definitely appreciate the work that you do and I appreciate that you have, uh, continually listened to that call and that nudging. And, um, and if you're like me, uh, which I think we're more similar than different, we, we may first resistant because we have other plans, but we we've learned that, uh, sooner or later, and usually, ho- hopefully, it'll be sooner that we can get on to be- get onto the work that's at hand. <laughs> so,
1: <laughs> it's been. Thank you. I'm I'm honored to be uh, to be with you, Kevin. You're right. We could talk more. Look forward yeah.
0: to it. All right. Thank you again. Um, again, um, for anyone who's listening, you know this idea that Greg and I were talking about regarding our own journey and being open to that prompting or that nudging and that uh, door that may appear and to have the courage to go through that. Even if or even when the situation may seem to be a loss or something traumatic, um, there still is an opportunity for there to be a teacher there for us to grow and then give back to others. As always, thank you for being with us and look forward to being with you next week.